The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. On behalf of RBCS, welcome to today's webinar. I'm Rex Black, President of RBCS, a worldwide testing and quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enterprises. Since 1994, we have delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. We have a team of international consultants that deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services to companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. I'm the author of, uh, as of uh, the, this month, 13 books on software testing, as well as being the past president of the ISTQB. Attendance at today's webinar earns PMI PDUs. Thank you, Rex Price, for reviewing the materials for PDU status and for making valuable suggestions. Attendees will receive an email telling them how to claim PDUs, including the PDU code. <clears throat> PDUs are available for live webinar attendance only. If you have any questions during the course of the webinar, submit them at any time via your webinar interface, but please note that I will only answer them at the end. Hope you enjoy this free webinar from RBCS. We do these free webinars as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS we are a not just for profit company. If you enjoy our free webinars and feel that they demonstrate solid insights into the kind of testing challenges you face, please make RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training. We're happy to provide a quote for any such help you might need. Contact us at info at rbcs-us.com. Okay, so let me see, can a sort of somewhat provocative question here, <laughs> can a mobile device save your life? And it's kind of the title being inspired by, you know, this is a screenshot from uh, one of the recent Mission Impossible um, uh, films. And, you know, in, in, in those films, it, these various death-defying acts are occurring, often enabled uh well, in some cases, just by the, the sheer, you know, um, outrageousness of some sort of behavior or another, like some driving capability that is, you know, superhuman or something. But many times it's enabled by technology, and more and more often it's some kind of mobile uh, technology. So, you know, we've got Tom Cruise being saved by his encrypted phone call uh, here. Um, so, uh, well, there was an interesting point of departure to look at the intersection between mobile devices and mobile apps and testing and quality. Now, a mobile phone, the concept of a mobile phone is something that goes way back. Um, if you do some research on this, you can see that mobile phones have, have been with us in some form for uh, uh, quite a long time, prior to the 1960s. I was born in the 60s and the uh, there were mobile phones then. Um, now, the, today's mobile phone, the modern mobile phone, if you look at <clears throat> the power of that thing, capability of it, uh, CPU-wise, uh, memory-wise, and so forth, uh, it's incredible. Um, you know, much more powerful than uh, um, what would be considered at, in, the, in, in the 1960s, 70s, a powerful computer. But it's not just a computer. Um, it's a radio. Um, it's a GPS location device. Uh, it might incorporate health monitors. So we're starting to do all sorts of things with uh, these devices that go way beyond just, hello, can you hear me? Um, and so there are safety implications. There are uh, crime, fraud implications, privacy implications, security implications, 
encryption implications and all of these things have testing and quality implications as well. So this webinar is about exploring some of those implications uh, and it kind of it, it ties into it's, it's a companion piece to another webinar that I have called the more things change location the more they say the same which is about um, similarities and differences in uh, mobile app testing vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, more standard types of applications which uh, did that webinar for the PNSQC conference as kind of a teaser intro and we're going to do it again uh, uh, sometime later this year I think um, if you want to catch that. But this is a <clears throat> looking at it more uh, from the point uh, I don't know more of a uh, why why should I care and what should I care about um, perspective rather than the other webinar which is the uh, um, what do I need to do uh, both of which are important because you need to know why you should care and what to care about before you can decide what to do about something. So back um, back in the dark ages when I was born, um, the 1960s, uh, we had spacecraft like we do now, and we have mobile phones. But you know, um, your mobile phone—if your mobile phone ran out of battery in those days—basically, uh, what that meant is it would kill your car battery. Because if you look at mobile phones, like what you see at the bottom there. You know, that would typically be installed in a car. Um, you couldn't carry it around because it, it drew uh, 250 watts. So, you'd, you know, unless you're an amazingly buff individual and you're carrying around lead-acid batteries, because remember, that's no, there's no lithium-ion then, right? Uh, you know, you are you got the thing in your car. And, uh, you know, I hear my daughters all the time, and, you know, common refrain on a road trip is, oh, my God, I'm at 5%. Um, well, <laughs> in this case... In the 1960s, that would mean that it killed your your car. Uh, it's going to jump start for your car because you left your phone on it overnight. And uh, <clears throat> another graphic that you see there is the Apollo guidance computer. This is what was actually in the Apollo spacecraft. And uh, <laughs> take a look at it: four kilobytes of RAM, 72 kilobytes of read-only storage, and a two megahertz 16-bit single-core <laughs> CPU. Now I have a uh, LG4 uh, phone, and it has three gigabytes of RAM, 32 gigabytes of built-in storage, plus 128 gigabytes of SD storage that I installed, and a 1.8 gigahertz, 64-bit, six-core CPU. <laughs> this hands down, you know, considerably more sophisticated. And of course, if you look inside, I mean, what was running in the Apollo guidance computer was a relatively simple application, you know, probably less than a million lines of code total, I would guess, and millions and millions and millions of lines of code uh, across all the different, uh, say, three dozen or so apps that are installed on my phone, plus, of course, the uh, Android operating system. So, um, <clears throat> Mobile is now uh, everywhere and has overtaken um, desktop um, uh, usage. So if you look at this graph here from uh, Morgan Stanley and Comscore, you see the number of uh, millions of global users. And uh, you know, now, obviously, there's some overlap here. There's some people who are counted once in each line, right? Counted twice, basically, once in each line. But, you know, so what? I mean, it's still, <laughs> the point is that you have more people doing computing now on uh, 
uh, mobile than desktop, though. Uh, interestingly, notice that the number of desktop users continues to go up. And this also gets interesting if you look at the number of hours uh, of uh, time spent, uh, you know, hours-wise uh, total across all these users. Uh, there again, as you might expect, mobile has uh, overtaken and exceeds the hours spent uh, by uh, people on desktop applications, even while des the number of hours spent across all the users on desktop applications continues to grow. Um, so when you combine those, those two growth curves, the uh, number of hours and the number of uh, uh, users, what you see is that it's an exponential increase. Um, and exponential curves are, are very interesting things. <laughs> they are uh, uh, very hard for people to wrap their heads around, but they're, you know things that follow ep ep exponential curves, um, the rate of change is exponential as well. If you, the second derivative of, a, of an exponential uh, curve is, is exponential. Um, so it's uh, really hard to get your mind around it. Um, and basically, you know, if you're not testing mobile apps yet, expect that you will be really soon. Um, and probably sooner than you expected. Um, if your company's not doing anything in mobile space yet, that's kind of a you know warning bell. Like, hmm, why aren't we? Why are we not mobile? Um, and um, if you don't know anything about testing mobile apps, then you know that's that's a uh, that's a downside from a, a career uh, perspective. Now. <clears throat> From the you know the the uh, world of entertainment on the first uh, slide to something a, a little more uh, tragic um, uh, here um, you know you have Tom Cruise pretending to save his life or the life of his team with a mobile phone uh, this this is a picture of people actually trying to change their lives and save their lives with mobile phones um, and this is a real thing I mean the the, the um, it was a hour-long report that I heard on a um, podcast of uh, folks in these uh, Syrian refugee camps who will trade their food to get money and a lot of times the money is used to pay for their mobile phone bill. Uh, that's how important the, the mobile phone is to them because it's their only link to the outside world. Um, they use this to keep in touch with other people, they uh, send messages, they check status on Facebook and so forth, they um, look for ways to get information about, you know, how to get out of there and get to where they ultimately want to be, wherever that is. Um, so, you know, you could say, well, Facebook, so forth, it's not, not a safety critical app. Well, tell that to one of these guys. Um, you know, or think about how Twitter, Twitter use uh, um, happened during the, uh, the Arab Spring and the um, Iranian um, uprising against the, the uh, election that happened there, which would, you know, was cl quickly clamped down on, right? Um, <clears throat> so if you're involved in social media, you're building a social media app, tomorrow's Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, or some kind of messaging application, um, people will do things with it above and beyond what you might have originally in mind. So, um, you know, when you, when you test it, this is something you want to think about is, uh, might somebody use this and you know and 
this in, that, in such a situation to to exchange information that is you know at least from their perspective uh, personally critical um, and expectation that might not be completely realistic but something you should keep in mind while you're testing now you know another aspect of this my phone does everything um, world is the you know Android Pay and Apple Pay, which use um, basically it's a, like a souped-up form of RFID radio uh, frequency identification. Um, so the same kind of thing that allows you to sit down with a fob in your pocket and start your car. That's that's you know the the basically the same same type of technology and uh, same type of radio frequency as as this near-field communication. Um, and so, you know, you're holding this, holding your phone near to one of these pay points and using it to make payments. Um, and uh, these uh, variations of these things are, uh, you know, abound um, too. I mean, uh, uh, my family and I went to a music festival called Austin City Limits back last month. And uh, you have this little wristband that they give you that's uh, basically this the same kind of deal of uh, it's a NFC or RFID um, device effectively that gets you in and out of the park and allows you to make payments and so forth. Now, <clears throat> for Android Pay and, and Apple Pay, it's not actually transmitting credit card information, uh, but you still want to make sure that things are properly encrypted. Um, you know, and... Encrypted and properly encrypted are two different things, <laughs> That's, which is something that people don't always keep in mind. Um, now, encryption has to do with, in this case, the transmission being encrypted. Um, and that is important, that while the data is, is in flight, as it were, that you're thinking about, hmm, now how does this, uh, you know, how might somebody get this? Because it's, it's flying through the air, you know what I mean? It's, not, it's not like a laser beam or something. Um, so, you know, it is potentially sniffable in that fashion. It can be captured, um, so it has to be encrypted. But even once it gets to the, uh, the, the um, pay side, you know, now there's some interesting, uh, or the back end, excuse me, now there's some interesting issues uh, with respect to all of this private information that's getting into the hands of these people. Uh, how is that? private information being handled? Is it being managed properly? I'm going to come back to this a little bit later, but from a testing point of view, if you're testing something like this, then you need to think about um, security uh, of the, both on the pay side and on the back end, um, and also um, back end privacy. Uh, as somebody's say purchasing a sensitive type of item like I don't know um, AIDS drugs or, or something like that uh, online or, or uh, using using this electronic payment um, you know you don't want that information to be something that's gettable now so sometimes people uh, share too much information and post stupid things uh, on purpose um, you're not really necessarily thinking about what's going to happen next. Now, this uh, the, the nicest w phrase I can think of this for, for this guy is "jag off." I, I could go from there. Uh, the, the guy that you see in this picture here is the so-called affluenza teen. I don't remember his name because it's not important enough to me to 
remember the name of a person like this, but he got drunk um, one night, though, not just one night, but he, he apparently got drunk all the time. And one night when he got drunk, he went out driving and killed, I don't remember exactly, but it was like three or four people uh, and, you know, a family uh, wasn't, you know, not just killing adult men is okay, but it wasn't just killing three or four adult men in a car. It was a, it was a family of people that he killed in this car accident. And so his attorney, um, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, this is the kind of thing that just makes you have to chant to yourself over and over again that everyone is entitled to the, the best defense attorney can offer. Uh, his attorney argued that uh, this kid um, didn't ha really have a properly formed sense of right and wrong because he'd grown up too rich and his parents had never uh, subjected him to any sort of consequences for his actions. And, 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 and I, I laugh because that's all you can do, you know, confronted with such a ridiculous thing. And the jury bought it, and the judge sentenced this kid to um, probation. Um, and uh, then one of the conditions of the probation was no drinking, of course. Well, this guy uh, decides to play a game of beer pong with his friends. Now he's on probation, and uh, his friends, um, you know, who clearly not on a trajectory towards winning any Nobel Prizes. You know, the IQ involved in this is, you know, somewhat stunning. Uh, the guy um, he posts a picture of this uh, uh, affluenza teen uh, playing beer pong, um, and it comes to people's attention, and he's busted. So, now... <clears throat> This is just, I think, an example. It's it's an extreme example, but an example of um, you, you know people people don't think, um, and 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 when that includes when they're using software and using mobile devices and so forth. And uh, so hackers are aware of that, right? So you get people doing stuff like this, posting pictures like this. That's evidence that people don't think. And then you've got various kinds of malware and what's called malvertising. Uh, which is advertising that that, uh, that um, can lead to phishing attacks and so forth um, that um, are, are out there waiting for people who would be stupid enough to do something like this uh, to come along and and you know bang um, you know they're they're they go from uh, prey to to a meal for these these hackers uh, so when you are testing mobile apps, um, you really do need to think about privacy and security. And it, it also uh, it has to be relatively easy to, to use those features. And they can't like, keep turning themselves on and off and so forth. I mean, one of the frustrations that I have is that it seems like my phone updates itself all the time, and that can end up sometimes undoing some of the things that I've turned off, turning them back, back on again. Um, or st there's stuff that that won't work with some certain setting, a more secure setting. So you turn it off for the moment, and then forget to turn it back on, right? So just saying, well, we're going to make the maximal uh, privacy and security settings the default on our app, and that'll solve the problem. Mm, no, it won't, because if that defeats um, some feature and then somebody goes in and they turn it off you know if it how maybe it's like really difficult to get back in there and turn it back on again and figure that out 
uh, some of the things that, well, mobile apps, you know, people tend to, to do tend to think about usability with them, but not always in terms of the settings that configure them. So while I was putting together this presentation, you know, you know one of the things I wanted to look at is, is health information and, and, you know, the intersection of health information with mobile apps and what that meant from a testing quality point of view. So out on the national U.S. National Institutes of Health website, we I find this thing is mobile healthcare information management utilizing cloud computing and Android operating system. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> nothing could go wrong with that. <laughs> There's not any obvious risks there. Uh, healthcare information in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Healthcare information uh, being gathered on mobile devices and transmitted to the cloud. Hmm. Now let 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 the wheels spin in your head for just a minute on what all the things that could go wrong with that. And that I did some further research. There are over ten thousand mobile apps that handle health-related information. <laughs> That's a lot of apps. Uh, what what are the odds that that all ten thousand of those organizations that have built those mobile apps have proper training and skill with respect to privacy and security and uh, testing and testing of mobile apps, mm, I put the odds of that pretty low. Uh, I'm not saying none of those people know it, but I'm saying that the odds that there are no privacy and security risks associated with any one of those apps, I would, I would put the odds of that at 0%. Um, <clears throat> now, we have a client that uh, they... They uh, manage uh, hospitals and other health uh, care facilities, and uh, they use a, an application for that called Optum. And um, some, of, some of this, I don't remember if this is actually Optum software or uh, some related software that communicates with the Optum software, but some of this software does run on, on uh, tablets and uh, mobile phones. So you've got people making... Uh, critical health-related decisions and passing around health-related information using these mobile devices. Now, you know, this is a big organization, this organization that makes this Optum app, and, you know, Siemens is another big player in this field, and they're, they're obviously, they're huge and very, a uh, very serious bunch. But, you know, okay, that's two <laughs> out of, you know, so that leaves 9,998 uh, others. Uh, you know, so this stuff, uh, this stuff matters. So you know, if you're if you get in if you get involved in this from a testing point of view, you got to think about things like regulatory compliance. And in the United States, that would be both HIPAA and also FDA regulatory compliance could be applicable. Now, there's some interesting information about does do FDA software testing regs apply to your health-related mobile app, and there's some advice on that um, out on, I believe it's on the National Institutes Health website or the FDA website when I was digging around on this, but you got to check to be sure, because if it does apply, then, you know, you could be better, better comply with it. Um, obviously, security and privacy are big issues, especially while the information is being transmitted, so you got to, you have to be testing for uh, potential breaches. Um, Inaccuracy issues, of course, could be huge. They could lead to wrong decisions. Uh, there was a tragic case uh, about a decade ago where uh, um, a surgeon trans uh, transplanted the wrong lung into this poor teenage girl who had 
his lungs were failing and by wrong lung I mean the blood type of the donor was wrong um, and uh, you know, the girl died um, now most most of the blame for that was pinned on the surgeon but uh, but there were there were information technology aspects of this too that that it it should never have gotten to the point where you where this girl's life depended on the surgeon being diligent enough to do what he was supposed to do, which was double, triple check the blood type of the the donor and the blood type of the recipient. Um, but it did get to that point, and he didn't check it. And um, so, you know, making sure the data is accurate. I mean, we saw this recent thing with this Theranos application, and there's accuracy issues there. And, um, you know... The more magical the promise of your app, um, the the more careful and the more skeptical uh, your mindset needs to be as a tester. Not you don't necessarily have to go around saying these kinds of things and say ah, that'll never work, you know. But um, you you know you want to you want to be careful, um, and you need to think about you know data collection issues. Uh, um, data sizes are limited on on mobile devices, and they do vary quite a bit. Um, so, you know what what kind of data collection can actually be done. Um, uh, sensor capabilities, you know that that's something that has to be kept in mind. <clears throat> okay, well, about a year ago, we had the uh, very tragic holiday party shooting incident in San Bernardino. And some of you might remember that uh, uh, the FBI, as part of recovering evidence from that really incredible, almost cinematic uh, crime scene, um, got a cell phone, an Apple cell phone. Now, the phone, uh, the terrorists who used the phone had thought to encrypt it, um, so it wasn't just a matter of, you know, we'd get on and... and um, Boom! There it is. Um, it was basically set up to uh, wipe. The phone was set up to wipe if uh, you entered the wrong passcode uh, three times, I believe. And you know, encryption has come a long way um, since the 1940s. This you see here, the uh, German Nazi Enigma machine. Um, you know, which was famously broken by the folks at, in, in Bletchley and the UK, uh, Turing, you know, among others, being involved in that. Um, you know, modern encryption is uh, um, much more sophisticated than that, and just a few clever people looking at it aren't supposed to be able to break it. And Apple said, hey, we can't, we can't do this for you because if we come up with a way of doing this, then it's out. It'll get out in the real world, and then, you know, our customers are exposed. So deadlock there, um, and then the company, a company later claimed to have done this for the FBI, actually have broken it and given it to the FBI. The FBI claimed that they had it. Now, I I don't know. I, I have a certain amount of skepticism about that. Um, Though, you know, I, I can understand that there's, I mean, what, what we see and hear about with respect to this story is, 
you know, not even the tip of the iceberg. It's it's the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. I and mean, there's obviously a lot of incentives for nobody to be completely straight about what actually went on. Um, but really, this exposes something interesting and important from a testing and quality point of view. The, the whole modern Internet is, is, is really based on the idea of having secure encryption. Now, when I say modern Internet, I mean an Internet that allows you to actually do things, not just read things. I mean, if all we ever used the Internet for was putting information out there for God and everyone to see, then, of course, encryption wouldn't really matter. But as soon as you get to the point where you want to be able to send somebody an email that nobody else can read, you want to be able to make a purchase and be confident that nobody's going to capture that mid-flight and so forth, you're, you're now in the land of needing strong, uh, secure encryption. So you, the whole, hence the whole public key infrastructure uh, comes into play. Um, <clears throat> and this is all really, really complicated stuff. I took a, a training course about... Uh, about a decade ago, got my security um, plus uh, certification after taking this uh, was about eight-week-long um, virtual class. Um, you read a textbook that was about 800 pages long as part of getting ready for this. This is really complicated stuff. Um, and a smart career path. So if you are a tester and you're thinking, you know, where, uh, where could I go? Career-wise, you know, what, what would be an interesting thing to specialize in? Uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff out there with respect to security. So I'd recommend taking a look at that. Now, in the uh, uh, fables, uh, I believe this is the Grimm Brothers uh, fairy tales, uh, Hansel and Gretel, um, when they went into the forest, left behind breadcrumbs so that they could find their way out. Now, of course, the thing that's funny about when we use this, this phrase, digital breadcrumbs, to refer to tracking information, of course, people tend to forget um, that in the story, in the Hansel and Gretel story, the breadcrumbs turned out to be utterly useless because the birds came along and ate them. <laughs> so... Unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it and whose eyes you look at it through, um, that's not the way the digital breadcrumbs work. Um, so, you know, Osama bin Laden found that out, though he may not have understood that this was what led to his downfall, but uh, found that out the hard way on the business end of, a, of some um, uh, very tough hombres and their firearms one early morning. Um, and, and, of course, again, this is another one of these places where what, what you can know and what actually happened and all the details of what actually happened are, uh, you know, somewhat obscure, right? But the, the popular telling of this that appears to have gained, gained some amount of credence um, and, and appears to come from more or less credible sources uh, is this idea that uh, one of the couriers that was bringing information to and from bin Laden, who was smart, bin Laden, you know, evil man that he was, he was smart. He did not go on the Internet. He did not have mobile devices in his, uh, his house, um, you know, and information, getting information to him and from him was done via a courier who was not supposed to have uh, his cell phone on, um, but apparently at the wrong point in time, he uh, we, he did. 
he did have his cell phone on. And um, that is, uh, as the story goes, something that led to his uh, his Bin Laden's discovery. Well, the cur first the couriers uncovering, and then Bin Laden's uncovering, and then Bin Laden's blessed demise. Uh, but you know, stepping aside from the fact that you know we, we might have feelings about um, you know the goodness of what ended up happening there. Um, Bin Laden and his gang were very, very careful to practice really good IT operational security. Um, and yet, and yet, you know, if somebody's looking for you all the time um, and, and there's just one screw up, you know, you see my point? So um, we're now seeing situations where... Um, you know, law enforcement usage is, and that so so what the law enforcement usage that went on here with the Bin Laden thing is is basically forensics, right? Investigation and and connecting dots after the fact. Uh, this is now getting to the point where it's real time, where uh, the active scenarios, um, mobile apps and mobile devices are being uh, used. Um, in, in active law enforcement scenarios. I can't really share a whole lot more details because the one person that talked to me about this in detail said you can't tell anybody about this, but um, it's, you know, uh, it's it's real life and death stuff. Uh, you know, guns, guns going off kind of situations. Um, so obviously, um, <clears throat> if you're involved in testing an app like that, you know, it is really, really important that it be very accurate. If it says, you know, law enforcement person X is here, law enforcement person Y is here, and bad guy is here, all of those things need to be true and true to a very precise degree, you know, within inches, not within feet. Um, you know, you, you, don't, you don't want to shoot in the general direction of the bad guy. Um, and you want to make sure that the ability to distinguish the good guy from the bad guy is um, accurate, right? Now, we've had this in battlefield situations. It's uh, called IFF, Identification Friend or Foe, and that's been around for, for a long time. Um, but, you know, we're, we're talking about something here done on mobile devices and done in exceptionally dynamic close-quarter situations where... You know, it's, it's, it's different than being outside in a battlefield. So, lots and lots of testing, and lots of testing under very dynamic circumstances. Now, you know, as you can tell, I, I like to watch movies. It started with Mission Impossible, and now here we are, Tom Cruise again. This is Minority Report. Now, you, know, you might remember in Minority Report, um, He's he's on the lam because he gets framed for a murder, um, and uh, and what what in this scene he's going through a mall and uh, you hear you, you can't really see it from the, but this is the part where where he's basically up right in front of him where the direction he's looking there's a big uh, Guinness ad that just came up and it says. Uh, you could use a Guinness, John Anderton. So it's like you figured out, okay, he's John Anderton based on an iris scan, and um, you know he's running around. He looks a little harried. So hey, you could use a Guinness. Um, but this was iris scan, not mobile 
devices. Uh, now, you know, at this point, everybody's carrying a tracking device. You are, if you've got your phone and it's turned on. Uh, you know, in some cases, it doesn't even have to be turned on. I mean, you know, if it's if the batteries are in it. Um, and you might think, well, really? I mean, a, people doing that, like targeted advertising based on on mobile phone? Yep, Google is working on it as we speak. Uh, so you might be like, hmm, okay, uh, it's funny, John Anderton, Juan Guinness. Well, maybe not. Think about the targeted ads that come up on your browser when you're browsing. That's what we're talking about. You're walking down the street and all of a sudden there for not just you, but everybody to see is an ad targeted at you. Hmm. Uh, maybe now you're worried because it kind of depends on what you search on the internet for and what you uh, buy on the internet. And again, this is, this is tied into what you do online in your the privacy of your bedroom or computer room and so forth in the privacy of your house. That that information is going to get tied in um, to these ads, which will be displayed in public. So, you know, if you're testing something like this, you need to think about well, what what happens if I go off and create an account? You probably don't want to do this on your own account and do shopping for some you know, embarrassing products. I don't think I need to get into details on that. Uh, or, um, you know, health status issues. Oh, I notice that you're buying um, antiretroviral uh, drugs uh, on the Internet. Hmm. Oh, hey, uh, we have this new, you know, club for people with AIDS or something, you know, completely inappropriate like that. I mean, because weird stuff happens, right? Uh, and... Uh, there's also safety issues like it should be possible for police officers, security agents, um, FBI agents, uh, CIA, other kinds of people who have very legitimate reasons to not be outed as as themselves under their own name, to not be announced that, you know, hey, John Anderton, you need a Guinness in, in the middle of stalking down, you know, the next bin Laden or al-Baghdadi or whoever, you know, they're going after, um, those, those are things that need to be tested. So lots of application of equivalence partitioning here, making sure you don't miss any important equivalence partitions, identifications of personas, careful testing according to personas are all going to be uh, uh, keys to, to trying to minimize the risk of, of this technology as it bursts into the public uh, sphere. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, you know, well, you know, I mean, surely we can trust them. I mean, you know, it's Google. I mean, their, their uh, whole, you know, corporate slogan is don't be evil. Uh, well, no, you, you surely cannot trust them. Uh, or you, Well, you can trust them to do what they're supposed to do. Uh, and you can also trust that every now and then somebody's going to act like a human being, which, and, and, you know, that has different kinds of variations sometimes. One of the variations of being a human being is to be a jerk. Uh, so a good example of this is uh, the, the uh, Uber's so-called rides of glory analysis. So Uber, as you might know, is a mobile ride-sharing application. And uh, what, what happened was that they started looking at these accounts where people uh, called up an Uber at like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning um, so like, okay, that's good, good on you. You know, you've been drinking and you, you did, you chose not to drive 
uh, you know, so now you're calling an Uber and the Uber comes and picks you up. And then that same account calls for a pickup at a place other than their home at, uh, say, 4 or 5 in the morning. And so basically they were doing this, this like, this sort of comparison of, you know, who's the, these accounts and who's got the, you know, the most uh, active, uh, you know, one night stand record and so forth. And it's just, you know, very silly, sophomoric kind of stuff, which came to light. People heard about it and, and Uber was, you know, publicly shamed for it, and, you know, justly so. But unfortunately, what didn't come to light was the analysis itself, right? Uh, because that kind of stuff can have some pretty serious consequences. You think about when Addison Ashley, uh, Madison Ashley got hacked, and people got information for the. And if you forget who they they are, uh, uh, that's the the uh, uh, married people cheating site. Um, you know, and there were a number of people who killed themselves because they that, that data got outed. Uh, they got outed, and they were revealed to be, you know, married people who shouldn't ought have been doing that. And um, and some some of them killed themselves. So you know this this is a, now these are examples of either childish behavior or carelessness in the case of Ashley Madison, um, resulting in in you know bad behaviors. But uh, there there are also perfectly good reasons why companies are going to not be trustworthy here because a company isn't is a, is an entity that it's uh, you know it's it's. Reason for being is to maximize profits within legal constraints that are imposed by governments. So if they're absent any legal constraints, if they can make money selling information or using information about you, then they're going to do it. They have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to take advantage of legitimate money-making opportunities. And, you know, if they're passing up, millions of dollars in potential revenue just because they're like, well, I'm not really entirely comfortable with that, then, you know, they actually cannot do that. Uh, so a good, a good tagline to remember here, I didn't make this up, I heard this, uh, is if you're not paying for it, you're the product, not the customer. So you are not Facebook's customer. You are not Twitter's customer. You are not LinkedIn's customer. You are not YouTube's customer. You are their product. Um, and they are selling you. They are trying to make money off of you. So now as a tester testing such an app, you know, you, you obviously have the interest of your employer that you have to keep in mind, but you also have to balance that against certain public interests and, and at least try to uh, um, you know, think about ethical issues, think about how you would feel if you were the customer. Um, you know, I don't think, I'm not calling for becoming the the scold of your company by any means but you know I think if, if the right person had said when somebody in uber proposed that rides of glory analysis had said something like if if we do this and if people find out and this ends up on the front page of the New York Times how are we going to look if the right person had said that to the right person at the right time that probably wouldn't have happened now, your phone talks too much. It talks way too much. It talks through all sorts of different interfaces, some open, some proprietary. And making the thing talk a lot is kind of a feature, but it's also kind of a bug. Uh, it's a feature in the sense that it, it in, of course, enables additional functionality, but it's a bug in that, that 
almost inevitably is going to open up additional security holes. Um, and by default, the device is going to talk too much um, unless you actually go out of your way to tell it, hey, shut up, shut up on that channel, shut up on that channel. And then, that, of course, interferes with functionality, so people tend to leave that stuff on um, because, you know, the, most people don't know much about security. Now, one of the good things about going through and just taking even a, a fairly basic course on security and security testing is it tends to flip a little switch in your head that, you, that never turns off again. And you're like constantly going, hmm, things that, that won't come to mind. Now, but you have to remember that it, remember what it was like before that switch got flipped in your head and the kind of blithe, uh, trusting assumptions you made about technology and how it was going to work. Um, so if you're testing an app, you know, look for these issues like, hey, it's, doing, it's got, you know, too much information being broadcast out and, you know, report that as a concern. Now, people might come back and say, well, it has to do that because that enables XYZ feature and this is our, our selling point. But, um, you know, it's something that people need to think about. Now, what's funny is that um, the... <laughs> All of the things that I've been going off about here, and, and you know, you might be thinking, oh, wow, this is, I mean, I'm surprised that Rex even has a cell phone. Uh, you know, but, but I do, and I use them, and, you know, I'm, I just I try to be security aware about it, um, and I try not to do things on it that, you know, I wouldn't want to see uh, published on the, on the front page of a newspaper. Um, the original freakout about cell phones, though, uh, was cancer that the phone the phone was like this thing that was pointing a gun at your head here I've got the metaphorical gun pointing out of the uh, the phone there in the picture um, that the, the phone itself the physical device and the way it worked was going to kill you uh, or could kill you um, when Ted Kennedy died of a brain tumor there was a lot of muttering about how he always had a cell phone pressed up against his head and the radio and the cell phone must have given him the glioma that killed him. Um, well, the National Institutes of Health, which has no reason to cover this stuff up, says no consistent evidence that non-ionizing radiation increases in, increases cancer risk. So, nope. It's not going to kill you by giving you glioma. Um, it might kill you because somebody robs you at gunpoint for your phone, but that's actually fairly rare and it is on a downward uh, trend because of kill switch technologies in phones that, allow, that, that basically make the phone worthless if it's stolen. So, you know, it's really not a lot of value or profit for somebody to go up to you and point a gun at you and say, give me your phone because, you know, you just give them the phone and then, you, you, you know, 15 minutes later you kill it and then it's, it's a brick. Um, but can the phone do lead you to do something dangerous yeah absolutely and as usual it's the boring stuff um, so distracted driving much of distracted driving is attributed to distraction by mobile devices and there are 10,000 people and a mil killed and a million people injured every year in the US from distracted driving um, distracted walking <laughs> Yep, that's a real honest-to-God thing, and you've seen it if you've been in any major city. And uh, so there are thousands of people that die every year and ten thousands, tens of thousands of injuries per year in the U.S. due to distracted walking. Basically, someone steps out into a street 
while they're texting or they're screwing off with their phone and they get hit by a car or some some variation of that usually not as extreme as walking off the edge of a building you know 150 feet in the air but i wouldn't be surprised if that's happened or falling off the edge of a cliff while trying to do some goofy selfie uh, you know, not paying attention to where the edge of the cliff was. That's probably happened. Um, so if you're testing, um, one of the things you might want to look at is can, can, your, can your app try to figure out, is somebody distracted and is there, is there a safe way of testing that distraction feature? Now, I mentioned the, um, the presentation, the other, the other presentation on the, um, the specifics of, of testing mobile apps, especially what's what's different in mobile devices, so as well as what's the same. Now, the thing thing to keep in mind is there are a lot of things that are the same when you're testing. So that I've mentioned a number of techniques. The techniques, you know, all the major techniques still apply. Um, certainly, automation is is a big deal because of frequency of updates. Um, there are issues with respect to uh, test data management and test environment management that are common. Um, you know, again, think of the healthcare stuff. Mobile apps are buggy. Um, sometimes people say, well, you know, it's it's simple piece of software. Uh, it doesn't mean it won't fail. Uh, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> you think about defect density, you know, smaller number of lines of code is one thing, but, you know, if it's, if, if there's a lot of, uh, of um, bugs in it, then you know this uh, per per line. Then you know that's a concern. Um, you have to think about more than just functionality. So usability, performance, reliability are just as critical for mobile apps as for regular apps. Um, if you're doing something that's safety critical or mission critical, again, don't just go, well, it's a mobile app, right? So it doesn't, you know, it's not that important. It's, it is, you know, if you're doing safety critical or mission critical things, then the app, regardless of the platform that it's running on, needs to be tested to that same degree of rigor and with uh, respect to any uh, applicable standards. Um, and as with any other kind of testing in, in IT fields in general, let's expect that skills growth is going to be a constant issue, that, uh, you know, the, the rate of change continues with IT to just be huge. Uh, and as I said, you know, it's exponential growth curves and exponential growth curves. You know, the second derivative is also exponential. And uh, if you've forgotten your calculus, that basically means the rate of change of the rate of change is changing. Now, in terms of what's different, um, well, there are a number of things that are different. So uh, mobile apps tend to interact with the real world in a number of interesting ways through sensors uh, and not just the, you know, the, what, what seemed 30 years ago to be this revolutionary, you know, mouse, GUI, keyboard kind of triumvirate. Um, and, you know, that was a big deal because like, well, you know, we transcended the character-based screen and, uh, and and the keyboard itself, you know, now it's like, whoa, okay, that, that's that's like really old school. So sensors interact with the apps and those influence behavior. Connectivity is something that's constantly changing, uh, at least while the device is moving around because it's changing its relationship to the transmitters that it's communicating with. 
And, and it's using radios to do this, and, and radios are weird. Now, by weird, what I mean is radios are not digital. Now, I mean, really, I guess you should think that digital is weird because digital, you know, digital is a way of modeling the real world that is quite different than the real world actually is. And, of course, analog is the, the world is actually analog, and radios are analog. But the thing is that as software people, we've gotten used to how digital stuff is and how digital stuff acts. Well, analog ain't digital. And, and radios, radios are weird. Radios exhibit behaviors that uh, are not going to be intuitive to somebody um, who's, you know, only ever t tested um, uh, apps running on PCs or apps running on client servers, client server apps, you know, with, with wired connections and that kind of thing. Apps are small and apps leverage other apps. So there's incredible amounts of interoperability relative to uh, the typical application that runs on a, on a PC or in a client server type of environment, uh, which creates lots of interesting testing implications. Um, phones are often not, mobile devices and phone, phones being among them, are often not plugged into the wall. Um, they, they can be, and but but you know that what makes them mobile is the ability to carry them around. And so while you are carrying these things around, they are using power, and there's all sorts of stuff that has to go on from a power management point of view. And the battery is a chemical thing, so it's weird and analog too. And uh, the CPU uh, capabilities are being scaled up and down based on the battery and power management, which is further affected by the ambient temperature that the device finds itself operating in. And so it's very different um, in a lot of ways than uh, the environment in which a PC app runs. Uh, technological change has stabilized for PCs. Um, it is definitely not for mobile devices, so that's you know much faster. Uh, Mobile devices continue to be relatively small from a capability point of view, um, CPU, memory, and storage. Uh, and if you do some research on this, you'll see that, that there are limits. I mean, obviously, you could put bigger CPUs into mobile devices, but the problem is bigger CPUs consume more power. Um, and then you, you not only have power consumption, you've got a heat dissipation issue, and you can't put a fan on a mobile phone. And, I mean, you know, you could, but imagine that. Um, constant updates, which even if you don't change your software, some software you interoperate with might change, and that's gonna that that has all sorts of testing implications. And then the way in which the app interacts with the real world and the way the inter the apps interact with the users is often very different than what you'd have with a PC app. So, again, more on this when I do the, uh, the more things change location webinar later. You want to get into some more detail. Um, so <clears throat> mobile devices have certainly come a long way since those enormous, uh, you know, lunch pail size things that I showed you on one of the earlier slides. And the change really has been uh, phenomenal in, in the last 10 years, um, you know, since the introduction of the first uh, iPhone release of I mean, it was the the seeds were being laid uh, prior to that, and you know, you think about well, my, it was a Palm Pilot, you know, and other kinds of PDAs, 
you know so it wasn't like that the iphone leapt out of steve jobs head like he were zeus and you know the iphone was athena or, or anything like that it wasn't quite that way but um certainly that uh kind of put it all into one package and was the beginning of some uh some very interesting changes uh, the apps certainly can make life a lot more convenient. Uh, they can provide various kinds of entertainment. I'm a real podcast fan, and I learn a lot through listening to podcasts um, and, you know, uh, supporting health and, and uh, safety and you know, law enforcement applications, health management applications. These are all good things, but they all come with risks, and hopefully I've helped to make you aware of some of those risks and giving you some ideas, uh, some initial ideas on kind of things to think about with respect to testing. Um, as I said, more, more information is coming in that subsequent webinar. And of course, we also have our mobile testing course. And I see some folks who've actually attended our mobile testing course here today. So welcome, guys. So, you know, be ready to test this stuff because, you know, if not now, soon you probably will be and uh, you, you need to position yourself to be ready for it okie dokie so put the advertisement up uh, concludes the presentation so at this point I will answer questions from the audience please submit any questions you have using the Q&A feature uh, first before we do that a quick word about our services as I mentioned earlier we have a team of international consultants that deliver customized training consulting and expert services to companies looking to improve their testing quality assurance practices if you feel that you have received valuable information from our free webinars please help us continue to provide them by making RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services consulting or training we are happy to provide a quote for any such help you may need Contact us, info at rbcs-us.com. Okay, so I see we have questions. Um, okay, let's see. Somebody mentioned early in the, in the um, presentation that the audio was popping in and out. But nobody else commented on that, and that usually means that, they, that the person who had that problem was probably having a connectivity problem. I was watching the network connectivity at my end, um, which, by the way, it's, it's wired, <laughs> and it's a PC that I'm running off of, so it's not a mobile device. So I didn't see anything there. So hopefully that wasn't too much of an inconvenience for you, Jeff. Uh, Amit says, um, you mentioned privacy issues on mobile apps. Many apps now collect sensitive data without actually caring about security. For instance, an app I use tracks my cycling paths. Apparently, by default, it's public and searchable on Google. Wow. Yeah, boy, that's a <laughs> huh. that's that's really interesting. That yeah, that's a significant risk. I mean, um, you know, not to, to to bring up something that's kind of creepy, but you know, I mean, people you hear you hear about people especially women getting kidnapped and other horrible things happening like when they're out jogging uh, so yeah having having that kind of information information about people's jogging patterns and paths or bicycling patterns and paths and stuff being publicly accessible that's just not you know, that's not cool now you know 
I can see why from their point of view, they're like, oh, yeah, we want to have that capability. But, uh, you know, that might look like a feature. But, I mean, if you're, if you're a person who has a restraining order out against a violent uh, intimate partner of some kind or another, I and mean, that's just the last kind of information that needs to be searchable on the web. So thank you for mentioning that. Amit follows up with a thought, when I thought about it, why would the app care about securing the information? Security is definitely not a priority, for them anyway, and rightly so. Can we change the situation? Yeah, see, I mean, um, <laughs> this, this gets to the, th the point that I made earlier about no, surely we cannot trust them, right? It, it, there is... There is no universe in which it is in everybody's best interests for anybody to be able to see where they rode their bicycle or jogged or walked around or whatever over the last few months. I mean, that's just not, it is not in the individual's best interest. Now, it is in their best interest, perhaps, to make that information available and searchable for people who are curious or people who want to do some kind of analysis of it. And, of course, it takes work to secure it, and you'd actually have to expend energy to secure it and to test that it works and why bother because nobody's making you and this is where it comes down to is that um you know i'm a i'm a pretty big fan of free markets and free enterprise um and and i'm always you know i'm always a little skeptical when i hear people yell market failure because that's smart you know people say that as a preface to launching into some sort of we need to to you know, regulate X, Y, or Z. But, I mean, if this is this is clearly an ongoing issue. I mean, I personally would like to see the United States adopt a rule more like what the Europeans have, which is basically says that data about you belongs to you, regardless of um, who collected it. It doesn't belong to the person who collected it. It belongs to you, and you have rights associated with that. Here, for some sort of very bizarre interpretation of the First Amendment somewhere or another somebody said that that the person who collected it owns it um, I yeah I don't I don't see how that's you know I'm not a legal scholar but I mean I, I I can read English and I don't know anywhere in the First Amendment the way I've read it that says and oh by the way this means that anybody who wants to can gather information about you and post it now I get that there are issues and, you know, Google has issues with that European rule and so forth. But but clearly, you know, Amit's got has put his finger on a scenario here that's not, um, it's not cool. I mean, it's not, shouldn't be just posting information about you. Now, of course, in the meantime, what can you do? Well, um, you know, don't use that kind of stuff, right? Um, <clears throat> Stefano says, good webinar, Rex. How... How goes it? Uh, this is, uh, oh no, how it goes. Knowledge is power and the best security measure for your PC is to keep it offline. Nowadays, level of knowledge is almost proportional to the amount of data you can access. Mobile devices are always online or always easily accessible and full of interesting data. Yep. Yeah, so you're just walking around with a little hack magnet in your pocket, basically. Um, Lena, I think in re with respect to my comment about um, law enforcement uses, uh, says, we have one application that tracks first responders. We do this to help find the fastest route and to measure response time. Yep. 
Yeah, so yeah, there's there's an example of you know it's not just not just for forensic uses. It's now it's it's real time, you know, keeping keeping first responders uh, safe and making them more effective and efficient. And this is only going to increase. Uh, let's see. Uh, Meet says, as for your recommendation to focus on security, any resources you'd recommend to start with? Well, um, certainly there are good, um, you know, fairly good books out there on um, on security. I would I would recommend going broad rather than deep. So uh, as as a starting point, like so you could go and go. Well, I'm going to learn how to do penetration testing. I'm going to be you know a white hat white hat ugh, white hat hacker. I don't know why that was so hard to say. It was white hat hacker. Um, and, you know, you could learn that, and that's certainly a valuable skill. And if that's something that, you know, you're really interested in and it would just kind of, like, get your juices flowing, do that kind of work, then, you know, by all means do it. Um, but there's a whole lot more uh, to know um, than that about security. And uh, personally, I when I did the, the Security Plus course and that got that certificate, that's, you know, I, I wanted to go broad rather than deep. Um, there's now some ISTQB certifications, and we're going to be supporting those with some some boot camps in 2017 on uh, on security. Um, so you know those will be additional resources to look at. So I mean I think there's a lot there's a lot out there. Um, at the very least, as a tester, I think this is something that you should have a good general awareness of. It's like usability. Even if you're not responsible for security testing, even if you're not responsible for usability testing. It still really is something that you uh, that you ought to know about. You know, not necessarily know about like I am an expert and can do this myself, but know about in like you can have an intelligent conversation with somebody else about the topic and at least know whether they seem to know enough to to do it. And I see a meet <laughs> formed forwarded on to me a, a website a web page that. Um, <laughs> you don't you don't have to actually go to the web page to get a pretty darn good idea of what it's about. It's on Wikipedia and it's called List of Selfie Related Injuries and Deaths. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, Amit. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't laugh, but I mean it's still you just you, I see some of this stuff going on the way people behave with these these phones and it's like you know come on. Uh, Jeff says, got it fixed in reference to his audio problem, so glad to hear that. Um, so Stefano's got another comment here uh, uh, regarding page, what I had on page 15. Um, he says, Rex, are mobile apps really tested? Maybe the few that are developed by real software companies. Most are crap, but people still get amazed by a huge amount of available apps in the store. Or happy because the apps get updated all the time. Still, huge amounts of people trust, install, and use those apps. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we we have as we IT professionals, software professionals, have successfully trained most people in the world now not to open attachments sent by people you don't know on your PC when you're reading your email. Don't open unexpected attachments. Uh, nonetheless, 
people still do it, but at least it, it's better than it used to be. But the same people who would never, ever, ever open an unexpected attachment will very happily go out to the App Store and download an app by somebody that they don't know from Adam. And, oh, well, but it's free, you know, and install it on their on their PC, the, the same PC that they carry with them at all times. And then, you know, when the thing pops up a message about this app wants to access blah, blah, blah resources, which might possibly include being able to get on the Internet and so forth, uh, and you just, people just click allow. Like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. What could go wrong with that? Plenty. Uh, Meet says, another thing to consider in mobile testing is that mobile users are much less tolerant to bugs and will uninstall an app very quickly if they see a problem or suspect one. That is indeed true. Uh, yep, users, because the price is usually free, they're generally happy just to throw the, the uh, crappy app overboard and, and go out and look for an alternative. Uh, which um, you know is I think is generally a good thing that uh, that barriers to exit barriers to exit in software are not cool. Well, I'll just I'll mean, you know, make that more or less blanket statement. I mean, I think the fact. Apologies to any of you all who are working at Microsoft, whoever did work for Microsoft, but I feel like Microsoft has gotten away with shifting an enormous amount of their, the costs of external failure that that in a just world they would have borne, um, you know, the problems with uh, the Windows operating system and, and just legion problems with uh, Office of one kind or another that lead, lead to millions of hours of lost pro productivity every year for which Microsoft pays not a dime and worse yet loses no business because of barriers to exit. That, that is it's very difficult to get around and get along in this world without Windows applications, without Office. Uh, now, now that is changing, but has been the case for many years. There's still plenty of organizations that are guaranteed to need tens of thousands of licenses to run Office on Windows. Um, and that, that from, a, from a quality point of view, that has not been a good thing for software or software users. So having zero barriers to exit that it's just very easy for someone just to toss an app and go that's garbage I'm off to something else is I think in general a good thing uh, of course coupled with the fact that the apps are free and that there's you know very uh, there, there's basically no consequence in many circumstances to an app maker throwing spaghetti against the wall to see if it sticks uh, you know that's not necessarily a good thing to, for for quality software quality either. So, you know, it's um, it could be a case of trading trading one one set of problems for another, I guess. So, um, hard to say where that ends up where that ends up going for sure. <clears throat> a wild and woolly uh, decade or or so coming. Uh, with respect to mobile apps and um, Internet of Things, which is you know sort of just the, the mobile, the natural, the natural conclusion of mobile apps, right? Um, you know, going from everybody has an IP address in their pocket to everybody has an IP address in their pocket, and everything that everybody has, other than their underpants, has an IP address too. 
Um, you know, that's kind of kind of where we're going, but it's it's just it's more of the same. And it does also have um, have some fairly interesting um, implications. Um, yeah, we'll uh, certainly keep uh, keep software professionals busy um, for more more years than I've got left to be working. I would guess. All right. Well, thanks for the uh, the great um, questions, guys. Good, uh, it's good, good discussion with you. Hope that you found this um, interesting. Uh, to close the session, uh, do remember that we do these free webinar sessions uh, once a month. Um, there will be one in December. We have we're having to move it, so you'll get a notice of that. And it's going to be right after the Christmas holiday, um, which I know. Probably won't be really convenient for everybody, but hopefully a lot of you can attend it or just catch the recorded one. Um, go to rbcs-us.com to sign up for our webinars um, and sign up for our regular free newsletter. This will get you uh, valuable discounts on consulting and training services along with a regular newsletter that uh, includes a featured article on software testing and quality and news about what we're up to. We'll probably be talking about my books here soon, my, the two books that I've just finished and more details on that and probably include some featured articles out of those. And as far as the valuable discounts, yeah, absolutely. Like, for example, we're working on a mailing right now that is going to feature a 20% discount on assessments. So that's, that's big. Um, that's big savings. And it's especially for folks like you who are loyal uh, uh, webinar attendees. We're only going to send it to the, that, that offer goes out just to people who um, have attended our webinars in the last year. Um, we are on uh, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube at the various um, coordinates that you see here on uh, on this slide. Uh, current and previous recorded webinars are posted regularly, so do watch for those on uh, social media. Uh, the blog is back, um, so rbcs-us.com slash blog. So we offer all these free resources as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS we are a not just for profit company, but please don't forget we also need to keep the lights on. So please do make RBCS your preferred software testing vendor for any and all expert services, consulting, or training. This concludes the webinar. Uh, thanks for joining us and uh, see you uh, next session. <laughs>